turn our hearts over um, this coming up this week, and then over the next few weeks we're going to be talking and teaching out of the, the book of Daniel. Alright, so you want to go ahead and turn over to the uh, Daniel chapter 1. We'll be, we'll be reading from there. Um, but this, if we title this sermon, which we are, it's going to be Faithful Witnesses. We'll get into to what that means here in a minute. But, but being faithful witnesses in our culture, in our society, in the world that is around us, and really being the witnesses that God has called us to be. So Daniel chapter 1 is what we'll be reading. We'll read verse 3 through 5, verse 8, and verses 17 through 20. And we'll read those at different times. We've got them on the screen. But I encourage you as we go through these couple of weeks in, in Daniel, be reading through Daniel with us. I, I won't be reading every verse in the book. Some pastors do that. Um, but, but we're just going to be reading different excerpts from it. But go ahead and be reading along at home the rest of chapter 1. It's, it's great. And then going through as we as we go through um, just to keep up with the whole story if you've never read or, or know the story of Daniel and, and the Israelites and Babylonian captivity and things like that. So I encourage you to read along with us at home. But we're going to be reading these few verses here today. Now we'll start with verses 3 through 5. So it says, Then the king instructed Espenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men, in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted, all in wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand. So I know that describes me. Um, and and uh, Bill says that describes him too, so he would have got picked. Hunter, I don't know if any of you and you fellows would. Austin says he would have, so we'll... Well, I don't know. We'll let Megan tell us if that's the truth or not. Um, but, you know, maybe some of you feel like you fit that. So, you know, you can see what's going to ha- what have happened to you. So it says, Quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that the end of that time they might serve before the king. That's Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. We'll read some other verses as we go. Um, that's where we want to want to start. And I, and I want to start by talking about being pulled. Okay? Being pulled. So let's lay some groundwork here. Last week we talked about suffering. And, and we talked about being in Babylonian captivity. But here is the, the real life where they were at. Okay? This... This is Jeremiah. He's in a prophecy to the people that are there. Um, Daniel talks about the people that are there, especially Daniel and, and Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are the ones that kind of highlight the, the scriptures of Daniel that we really look at um, in, in those scriptures. Okay, um, So we get an inside look at what that captivity looks like for these men. Um, and that's where we find them. We, we come in, and, and, and they're going under Nebuchadnezzar, and, and, and starts, the chapter starts out that Nebuchadnezzar went, um, and he basically overthrew Jerusalem. He captured them. He took the people and he sent many of them over to, to Babylon. It's different areas, spread them out, some into to physical slavery, different camps and different things to work, different cities to build and farm, different things like that. But then we see here that, that he, he sent this one man out, this one advisor out, and said, hey, I want you to find you know, some of the best, some of the best of the best. Go look at, look at our people, look at the Babylonians, look at the Israelites, look at all of them. These are the criteria. You know, they're, they're good looking, they're smart, they're quick to understand, they learn well, they, they can work, they've worked with basically these kind of things. Find these men and, and bring them to me. And we're going to basically put them in a, under a three-year tutelage and everything. And at the end of that three-year, I'm going to pick some advisors, pick some people to help me oversee my expanding empire. If you understand the history that this empire grew, it was, it was a very large empire and lasted for, for a good amount of time and then ended up being under Persian rule later on and captured. Um, and that's ended up who uh, Daniel serves with Darius. But, but we see this growth, we see this advancement and everything that, that Nebuchadnezzar is trying to establish but have these other leaders. And they go and 
And they do this, and they're offered this great spread. It says delicacies, another translation says fine meats and things and foods like that. And they're offered that. And they're beginning to be pulled from where they were and their identity as Israelites and, and being compelled to assimilate some to this idea of being more Babylonian, being a, a part of the Babylonian culture and society. They're in this new place and this new culture and this new society around foreign things, around foreign ideas, foreign people, foreign gods, foreign entities of all kinds. And uh, fashion, the government was run differently. It was a very, very different place for them. And they're provided with this opportunity to basically, while their brothers and sisters were out working in the fields or building and different things like that and having to do physical manual labor and, and, and you know, not being treated well, they were in slavery. That's, that's the bottom line of what they were. They were provided an opportunity to live a cushy life, to live in the king's palace, to, to have a good job, that they didn't have to worry about the physical manual stuff, that, that they could have position, they could have title, that, that who knows where it might end up. You know, if they play their cards right, if they do, you know, what the king asked them to, they might end up in a, in a really fine place, and, and they might be in better off here than they were back home. Bible never tells anything about Daniel and, and these other men being in some kind of leadership positions back home, but here they had this opportunity to gain a title, to gain position, to gain authority. They were provided all of this, but they were being pulled to be more like the Babylonians than they were the Israelites, more like the children of God. And I got to think about being pulled. And um, growing up, one of the, the movies, the, the couple of movies that I remember most from growing up is the original trilogy of Star Wars, okay? Technically, they're four, five, and six. Most of our minds, they're one, two, and three. It's weird the way George Lucas did. I don't know what was going on in his head, but it's really good movies, okay? So if you've not watched Star Wars, spoilers ahead. I think it's been 30, 40 years since they came out, so if you've not watched it, you know, I'm sorry. You're going to find out. Darth Vader's Luke's daddy, okay? Big spoiler. But if you, the original trilogy, really all the movies, the original trilogy, especially growing up, was about this idea of, of Luke Skywalker. Okay, Luke Skywalker was this this uh, protagonist. He was the good guy. Okay, but then through the whole trilogy and the story, his story arc, he is pulled by by the dark side. Uh, Emperor Palpatine is like the figurehead. He's the big bad. He's 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 grimacy. He's not look, doesn't look good. He's ain't looks angry. He's got a lot of issues. He's not a, a nice person to be around. And the whole thing, he's uh, Emperor Palpatine is trying to set up situations to pull Luke away from the good side, the light side, whatever you want to call it, towards the dark side, towards the evil, towards the bad, pulling him. It goes through that whole thing. And you get to the cataclysmic moment, and, and man, Luke is right there on the precipice of giving in to the dark side, and ultimately, you know, conforming to all these bad things that he was against at one point, and he was being pulled and pulled and pulled. Now, I look at, at my life, and no doubt your all's lives, you know, in teenage years, and they were all at, you know, adolescents, and getting into young adulthood, and especially in the world we live in with social media, and you're always getting input from, from everything around you, right? It's, it's easy to feel pulled in a myriad of different directions. Pulled by people that you trust, pulled by people that you look up to, people that you think highly of, people that you you know, just really would love to be like. Pulled by people that's in your family, pulled by people that you don't know, pulled by people in your circles, pulled by people that are outside your circles. And it's easy to feel, feel pulled by the culture and the society that is around us, pulled to be something that we're, we're not to be different than, than who we are in Christ as, as Christians. And we, we go through that process, that struggle, that, that those moments of being pulled. And the world has pulled Christians 
throughout all of society. Adam and Eve, you look at the very beginning of the time, Adam and Eve, they weren't technically Christians, but they were created in the image of God. They were perfect at that moment because they did not know evil. They were, they were as close as humanity would be to perfect as, as everywhere besides Christ. He was both man and God. And they were pulled. The Bible tells us in Genesis that the, the serpent, the enemy, was there in the, there in the garden at the a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he began to pull Eve and then ultimately Adam and entice them with his words, to pull them from being something that they knew they should be into something that they knew that they, they shouldn't be. And they were pulled. And they were pulled. And ultimately, Satan, the enemy, pulled them for that season, for that time, onto his side of, of reasoning, of thinking, and doing what he thought, and ultimately they sinned. And they disobeyed God. And they came short. And they came to fall and all sin. We talked about that several weeks ago. This pulling effect. There's always going to be powers and entities and forces pulling on you as long as you live in this life. No matter how old you are. No matter how powerful you get. No matter how much money you have. Really you can make the argument that the more power you have and the more money you have, the more pull that there is from other sources. That people begin to know you more and there's more pull of that. Right? No matter where you are, it's very hard for you to, to live a life where nobody ever tries to influence you or pull you in some direction. You live up in the woods. Tara likes this show, uh, Alaskan Bush People, I think is what they call it. Okay, There we go. We got some acknowledgement. I'll have to let Tara know. and Maybe you all can uh, uh, watch the new season. Yet. I don't know. Um, loves this show. Okay, And I think, what in the world are these people doing? These people out in Alaska live in the bush off the grid. Okay? And, and they really aren't around a bunch of people, but they do have some correlation with other, with other people. But, but you, if you watch the show very long, you realize that no matter these people that have isolated themselves from much of society and much of culture and much of the world, they are still being influenced and pulled by certain things. Maybe it's insular within the family. Maybe it's personal desires to go off and do their own thing. Maybe it's just a little bit of contact they have with cult, modern culture and society. But they are being pulled even though they have tried to isolate themselves from society. Now, I say that to say this, no matter how much you do to try to block out all the sound around you, you will be affected and pulled and, and impacted in some way, capacity, and form by everything that is around you. By the world, by society, by culture, by, by social influences, modern things, society, all these things will have an impact on you. Your family, strangers, certain people that you just come across briefly in a day, or some people that you pull, spend your whole life with, they will have a pull and impact on you. And we see this. These men that have spent much of their life in Israel, freedom, had you know, could do what they wanted to according to, you know, what their provisions provided. They're brought into this new place and they are immediately pulled to be and to do and to act a different way. To be more Babylonian than Israel or Jewish or Hebrew, however you know want to consider it. We are pulled. But the thing about being pulled is that we have a choice about either submitting ourselves to the pull or resisting the pull, right? Like if, if, if I'm hanging from something, like I'm trying to do a chin-up, which, as you can imagine, that would be difficult for me to do, okay? Maybe some of you can. Hunter looks pretty fit. Maybe he could do a chin-up, you know? We might let him try that sometime. Um, but I couldn't do it. I'd get up, and then the force would pull on me. And I may try to resist it, but ultimately I will have to submit to the pull that is on me, the gravitational pull because of my weight and the mass of the earth and everything. I ain't going to do a science lesson. But there's pull, and you have to resist it or you submit to it. And that's what these men had to decide. So they had to decide to be faithful to who it was that they were in Christ, within God. 
right? So let's read verse 8 here. It says, so this, this is proposed to them. Verse 3 through 5, they're just proposed this idea of, hey, we're going to bring you in. They really didn't have much of a choice in that. They're like, we're going to bring you in. We're going to put you through this test, right? But then they were set up in this position, and they said, we're going to lay out all this fine spread of all these niceties in front of you, this, these nice, this nice meat, this nice wine, all these things in front of you. You can partake of it. Do what you want to. The king wants to make sure you're big, happy, healthy, and strong. That's what he wants. That's really what he's wanting to do. He's trying to really just... To, to pro provide for them and ultimately, in, in a way, try to get them to align with him because it's like, oh, he's giving us these nice gifts. He's treating us well. He's giving us all these things that we want. So we're going to kind of lean on his side a little bit. Even though we don't know this man, we're going to kind of lean on his side because he's given us all these things. But here's what Daniel said. It says, but Daniel proposed in his part that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Scripture goes on. It talks about how he wanted the pulp, which pulp is translated into vegetables, just water and vegetables. That's what he said that we, he's partake of. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, hey, we're going to align with this with this Daniel God too. We're going to do that same thing. We just want to stay with the vegetables. We just want to stay with, uh, with the water. And that's what we want to do. We want to stay faithful to our God. Now, we might, we might look at what was provided for them what was offered to them in this time, in this season of their life. We'll just find meats, find delicacies, and some wine. That can't be too bad for the situation they're in, different times of season life. You know, certainly that's not, not too bad. How is that really defiling? He uses the word defile. Defile is a pretty strenuous, stern word, right? It's not just saying something that, oh, it makes me unhappy or just frustrates me a little bit. They were, he's saying that I don't want to defile myself. We might look at that and it's like, how does that defile you, Daniel? How would that defile who you are in, Christ, in God, basically? But what we don't understand, let's look at the context and the historical context of, of how that worked with Babylonian and society and everything like that. What Daniel and, the, and these other men knew and understood was that this meat, these delicacies that were being provided to them and ultimately been provided by the Babylonians themselves, the commoners and everything, as they would offer sacrifices up to their pagan gods, those sacrifices then would be taken and they would be put into the king's storehouse, and then the king is pulling from his storehouse to offer these things to these men that he was putting them in, trying and testing to see who they were, to see if they were proper and be useful to him. So basically what Daniel understood was, hey, this stuff that you're giving us, it was given as an offering to pagan gods. It's unholy. It itself is defiled. It is not of God. It is not of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is of pagan and foreign gods that are going to defile, that has already defiled this by being offered to them. It will defile us if we consume it, if we take it in, if we make it a part of us, if we allow it to become who we are, if we just accept this blindly and we don't push it away, then we ourselves too will be defiled. We ourselves too will be, will be defiled. So in their minds and their beliefs and how they understood it, for them to take of this would be unfaithful to God. It would them being disloyal to who it is that God was to them. Now, loyalty is a word that's thrown around in a variety of, a variety of situations and circumstances, right? You get married, you talk about being loyal to one another. You get a job and people talk, well, I've been loyal to my job. I've worked there for 40, 50 years. I retired from that job. I was loyal to them. You talk about in, in politics and world governments and in, in all kinds of areas in our life, we talk about loyalty, right? But do we often think of our relationship with God as a place where we can be loyal? You know, we can be loyal to God. 
faith being faithful to God and being loyal to God is, is similar things, but we don't always align those two things as, as, as similar, as the same. But to be loyal to God is to not partake of other things, to not give ourselves to other things, to not submit ourselves to other areas or things that do not align with God. And Daniel and them, they're like, well, you know, pray outside them, I know that's not not going to defile them. That's just some fine meat. You know, it's a big old nice steak and, and some different things. It's not going to defile them. But to Daniel, they knew this is not of God. It might not seem harmful. It might not hurt anybody else. It might not be destructive to anybody else's life, but it is harmful for me because it's not of God. And for me to be faithful to God, I must resist this thing that they're using to try to entice me, to try to, to pull me. Now look at your life and your relationship with God. You think of all the things, all the things that are pulling on you in your life. And think of the things that are pulling you towards God. And if it's not pulling you towards God, then ultimately it is pulling you away from God. You might think, well, that's kind of crazy. It's not just a yes or no kind of answer. There's some area for gray, but no. If it's not pulling you towards God, then it's pulling you away from God. Because the time that you are giving in and not resisting to those pulls that are pulling you uh, that are pulling you towards God, it's time that you could be using to move closer to God. So the longer that you spend giving in to things that are pulling you away in any other direction from God, it's time that you are wasting because you could be giving yourself more and more to God. Spending more time with Him. Spending more time submitting to Him. But here we see Daniel and these men that are Going through this, they feel all this pull, you know, and no doubt the frustration from those that are outside saying, hey, you should be out here. And, and then there's pull from inside saying, you could be more like us. Look at what we have to offer. Look at what we can give you. If you just kind of close your eyes and, and turn your head a little bit and don't look at what's really going on, you don't look at what, what where this stuff came from, you can be okay. You can have a position here. You can raise up here. You can do better with your life. You can have things that you maybe never dreamed of having in this palace if you'll just give in to the pool. If you'll be more loyal to me than you are to God, then then look at what you can have. Look at what you can have. But Daniel then realized it's not bringing me closer to God. And ultimately it's taking me away from God. And to be faithful to God, to be loyal to God, we must resist the things that are not pulling us towards God. Even things that don't look bad on the surface, even things that just look like, well, that's not really going to harm me or hurt me or hurt anybody else. If it's not making you closer to God, it's doing damage to your relationship with Him. And it's inhibiting you and, and not allowing you to be who it is that God desires you to be. It's time that's, that's making your it's effort that you're giving. It's time that you're using. It's part of your life that you're sacrificing that does not make you and get, submit yourself to God. And that's what Daniel then realized. This does not get me closer to God. It gets me farther away from Him. But they realized it wasn't the position. It wasn't the, the being in the palace. But it was taking of these things that are not of God that was damaging, that was harmful. But they, So they stayed. They didn't just say, hey, we don't want any part of this. Take us out of here. Kill us, whatever. We don't want any part of this. They just said, we don't want to take the meat and these things that are going to pull me away from God. And there's a lot of things in life that we have to understand how the Spirit is moving in our life and recognize what is of God and what isn't of God. And we can go to Scripture and we can go to what the Bible says and what God has taught us and what we have learned through, through the up, upraising of our, of our parents and through the church and different things like that on what it is that we should resist and what it is that we should give ourselves to. But here they see that they were like, this is going to defile us, this isn't right for us, this is not who we want to be. 
But they stayed around. They said, we'll eat the vegetables, we'll drink, the, we'll drink the water and everything. We'll do this because this is what we need to do to be faithful to God. But then we're still going to stay in this palace. So why would they even stay in the palace? Why would you stay in this place where everything around you is pulling you in the wrong direction? It would be a whole lot easier to resist it if they left it, right? It would be a whole lot easier to resist it out in the fields with the crops or, or in some place building something. It would be a whole lot easier to resist it if they removed themselves from this place where there was a pool that was unhealthy from, for them, that there was a pool to be unlike God. Why did they stay in the palace? You might ask yourself that question. We might think that the easiest way to do what God wants us to is to, is to remove us from a situation. But sometimes God doesn't want us to leave a situation. He just wants to resist the pull that is there in that moment because he has something for us to do in the midst of that situation. Okay? Might sound confusing. We're going to break it down here. Okay? So let's talk about value. Okay? So in, in Daniel chapter 1, verses 17 through 20, it reads like this. After these four young men, God gave them knowledge. So after all this, they're provided all these options. Oh, look at all these delicacies. Look at all these niceties that you can have. The finest things in, in, the, in the country, finer things that you've ever seen on your table, on your plate, back in Israel and Jerusalem. All these things that you can have. Look at them all. You can have them. Daniel and then they say, hey, no. Just give us the vegetables and give us the water for the three years. We'll be happy. We'll be faithful to our God. But we'll continue to go through this process that you desire for us to go through. We'll stick around, but let us do the vegetables and the water. So it says, and as for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill and all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the day, so after three years, three years of eating the vegetables and they drinking the water. They don't take the king's table. They don't submit to that. They don't. They continue to resist that through the whole time. They just eat vegetables and water. While all the other ones are, are eating the finest things and partaking of all the finest things and all the pleasures that the king was offering them, they resisted that through the whole three years. Long time, right? When the king had said that they should be brought in, bring them all in, the ones that from Israel, the ones that from noble houses, the ones from the land that they came from, bring them all in. The chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And then the king interviewed them. And among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Okay, these are the Hebrew names for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay, they changed their names, all right? I still don't understand why they left Daniel's name in all the scripture, but they changed it. I don't get that, but that's something beyond that. But that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just so you understand what we're talking about. Therefore they served before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were who were in all his realm. That's Daniel 1, 17 through 20. This chapter closes with these men basically elevated for their efforts. Elevated to these titles. One place basically says that Daniel was like a prince of the land. That he had this authority. He had this position. He had this role to, to really to be an advisor to the king to make decisions. And we see ultimately in Daniel later on that he gets so much power that other people that are from that land originally, other leaders, become jealous of him. So Daniel and these men, they raise up because of the efforts that they had, because of how they submitted to God, how they resisted what was going on. They became more like they put themselves in a position to do what God wanted them to do. They worked hard while they resisted the compelling pull of everything that was going on around them. Colossians 3.23 parallels this. It says, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Colossians 3.23. Now, do you think Paul is just giving some fatherly advice to work hard? No. Paul is a man that comes from a spiritual mindset. 
All right. This is the man that basically says physical exercise profiteth little, but spiritual growth is what we should desire. Right? Paul was not interested in just the physicality of the world around us, just the, the things going on. He was focused on the spiritual. So why would Paul say, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not to men? Because he realizes that doing that in the world around you impacts the way that you can connect with people and who you can connect with spiritually. Let me say it like this. We live in a world and society where it seems like more often than not, if we have differences with somebody, we don't want anything to do with those people that we're different from. It's the world around us. Call it cancel culture, whatever you want to call it. When you have a disagreement with somebody, when they have an opinion that you don't have or whatever, we don't want to be with them. Both sides of the aisle. No matter where you come from, there's a very strong pull that that's what happens in a lot of society now, right? So if you're not around those people and, and, and you don't want to be around them because they're different than you and they don't want to be around you because you're different from them and whatever from not, maybe there's people in the world that you just can't connect with because you're a Christian and for them that just drives them crazy for whatever reason. They just don't want to be around you because you're a Christian and you have a certain set of beliefs. How can you still be in a place where you can minister to them and where you can, adv- where you can love them and show them the love of Christ? You add value to their life. You add value to their life to the point where they can't push you away because there's something that, that you bring to their life that nobody else does. You might live in a, in a you might work in a, in a in a field and everything where you know it's not very odd it's, it's very odd to have people that have a certain set of beliefs to believe like a Christian do you know to be around certain people where you know you're working hard and everybody else around you they they they're atheists everybody else around you they don't really pre- prescribe to Christianity or to moral beliefs of some aspect and they don't want that kind of around them but. But guess what? You're the hardest worker in the plant. And you give all your effort and you really show that you want to do as heartily as to the Lord so they can't just ignore you because you give everything you have. And they can't just write you off because you're doing faithfully what God has called you to do and you're adding value to that life and that situation. And that's what Daniel and these other men did. It could have been very easy for Nebuchadnezzar to say, oh, they're going to eat the vegetables. That's weird of them. They won't take it to this table. They're strange. They're different. Just go ahead and put them back with the rest of them. I'll get what I need from other people. Daniel and these men added a value to Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom that nobody else could. And we see from Scripture that ultimately them doing that, by, by committing themselves to learning these languages, to learning what was being taught through these three-year process, to committing to those studies, to committing to the work that was put before them, it allowed them to be in a position where they could have influence on the king of this foreign pagan world. And ultimately we see that Nebuchadnezzar, skip ahead a little bit, when Saturn and Shagam Bendigo were thrown in the fiery furnace, guess what? If they hadn't been there in the first place, Nebuchadnezzar, Meshach, and Abednego would have never been thrown in the fiery furnace. And then Nebuchadnezzar would have never looked in and saw the fourth figure walking around like the Son of God. But because they added value to Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, he kept them around. And because they were just around him, they had an impact on Nebuchadnezzar. Because Daniel was around Darius, he had impact on Darius's life and kingdom, and ultimately people were led to God and believing in the Israel God that didn't before because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel added value to the people's lives around them. We as Christians, and I, I want to say this best I can, we come from an entitled place sometimes, thinking that people just just should listen to us. We do, for whatever reason. We think, well, people should just listen to me when I talk about Jesus. But guess what? 
If someone has an added value to your life, you're not going to listen to them when they bring something else to you, right? If there's no value there, if they don't think that you add anything, if they don't trust you, if they don't believe you, if they don't think there's a reason to listen to you, they're going to ignore you. And the same goes the opposite way, right? If you've not added value into somebody's life, they're going to be like, well, you just go on, buddy. I'll do my thing, you do your thing. Why should I listen to you? But Daniel, Hananiah, Nazariah, they added value to the Babylonian kingdom. Thus, Nebuchadnezzar kept them around. He said, yeah, y'all different. Yeah, y'all a little weird. Eating vegetables when there's fine steak over here and doing all these, you getting vegetables and water. I don't understand that. That's not my dietary desire. I'd like to have all this, but, but you add value that I just can't replace. So I'm going to keep you around. And the longer that they were around, the more influence they had, and the more impact they had, the more pull that they began to have in the other way. And what started off was that the Babylonians were pulling on them by the time that it got to the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were having a pull on Nebuchadnezzar, but it wouldn't have happened if they weren't still around. And if they had already been escorted out the door, if they'd already been told, hey, you just, you're going to not act like us, you're not going to try, you're not going to put forth an effort, you're just going to complain about this, go on, we don't need you, we can find what we need somewhere else. But because they put their head down, they worked hard, and they did heartily as to the Lord, not to men. Everything they did, they weren't doing it for Nebuchadnezzar. They weren't doing it for that chief eunuch. They weren't even doing it for their lives. They were doing it to be faithful to the Lord. And through that process of them working and studying and trying to commit all these things to mind so that they could do it as heartily unto the Lord, and they said, we don't know where this is going to take us, God. We don't know why you want us here, but we're here. We don't know where this is going to go, but we'll go where you lead us. And we're going to do the best with what's put in front of us as long as it doesn't pull me away from God. Them learning another language didn't pull them away from God. Them learning the history of the Babylonians didn't pull them away from God. Them learning about their government structure, learning about how they farmed, and learning about the trade routes and all those things, that didn't pull them away from God. So they said, well, we're going to put our best foot forward. And as long as it doesn't make us in some way be unfaithful or disloyal to God, we're going to give it our best and then let God lead it to where he wants to lead it. And that's what they did, and that's what we too should do. I get it. We live in a secular world where where majority of, of groups and companies and organizations have a secular worldly lean. You know, there's there's alternatives where it's not but in, in honesty, a lot of them are. And you might be in a position where you work around people who don't have the same ideas and thoughts as you. You might be in a situation where your boss doesn't have the same ideas and thoughts as you. You might be working in, in, with people and, and customers that, that do not have the same thoughts that you have. Add value to your life so that they can't just write you off. So they just can't send you on your way because of the differences of opinion. So they just can't ignore you. The more value you add to your life, the more likely they'll keep you around. And the longer you're around, you'll never know when that day comes. And they're like, man, David, is he works hard. He just puts his head down. He does what he's supposed to do. No matter what everybody else is saying around him, no matter how many times people try to pull him a certain way, he, he is who David is. And he's faithful to this God he talks about. I'm in a bad shape right now. And I'm in a bad place in my life. My marriage is on the rocks. My kids hate me. My health is going down the drain. I don't want to go talk to those guys that are just wishy-washy and don't do their work. I want to go to the one that does what he's supposed to do, that tries hard, that doesn't get pulled this way and that way, but he is who he says he is. And because you put your best foot forward and you added value to their company, 
you're still there for them to go talk to you. But if you're always complaining about this and that, and I don't want to work hard, and I don't want to do what, what you just told me to do, do it heartily, that's to the Lord. You never know when you'll be there at the right time in the right season because you added value to their life, and you added value to their company, you added value to that job, and now you get to add value to their spiritual walk because you get to tell them about Jesus in their hardest time and in their dark time and the bad situation that they're about to face and what they're going through. But if you're not there, you can't do it. And if you're already gone, you can't say it. And if you made your differences the biggest priority, and they said, well, go on, then guess what? Now you can't tell them about Jesus. Now you can't be that person there for them when they need it. Daniel and them, they said, hey, there's some things I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to be disloyal to my God with these things that you lay out before me. I'm not going to partake of that. But I'm still going to be the hardest work you've ever seen. I'm still going to be the one that adds value that nobody else does. Ten times. Ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were all, in all of his realm. Ten times. He said, yeah, I can't get rid of these guys. I need them here. I need them here. And they became voices in his ear that talked to him regularly, that gave him advice, that gave him instruction, that told him what they thought. And ultimately, they were able to put the word of God in Nebuchadnezzar's mind, and ultimately they were able to show him how was he supposed to know that who the Son of God was unless Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had already told them who he was. And it was like, that fourth man in the fire, he looks like that God they've been talking about, that they've been telling me about. He wouldn't have known who it was unless they'd already told him. And they couldn't have already told him unless they were around. There is, I love football, and we'll close with this. There's a, there, there's a saying that one of the greatest abilities in sports is availability, right? If you've got a very talented football player, but he's always injured, then he's not adding value to your team. He comes out for a couple of plays, looks fabulous, then hurts something, and has to sit on the bench for the rest of the game. He's not really adding value to your team. In, in our walks with Christ, one of the greatest things, one of the greatest Im- the greatest impacts on ministries you can have is just being there. Because if you're not there, you can't have an impact. If you're not around, you can't have a pull. If you're not around, you can't have an influence. Being around somebody that needs to hear about Jesus is the first step. You can have the best testimony, and you can have the best theology and the best doctrine. You can have it. You can know exactly what to say and when to say it and how to say it to convict somebody and to draw on them. But if you're not there, it don't mean a hill of beans. Billy Graham is probably one of the best speakers to ever walk across the face of this earth, gifted by the, by the grace of God to do what he did. But if he wasn't there and he was just talking to a mirror in home, because nobody would have him come to his church and nobody would listen to him because he was an angry, bitter person that focused on the things that were going wrong, guess what? He wouldn't have had the impact that he did. But because he did everything as heartily as to the Lord, he added value to people's lives. He was able to speak to presidents and he was able to speak to foreign leaders. He is one of the only men of God that went behind the iron wall into Russia during the Cold War times. Because everything as heartily as to the Lord and made it put him in a situation where he was just there. And sometimes the biggest thing you can do to help somebody is just to be there. Just be there. And it's hard and it's difficult sometimes. I get it. I've been to, in situations where I didn't want to give my best at work. 
been in places where I didn't want to try hard. That I thought that there was no reason. They didn't deserve my best. I'm not doing it for them. I'm not doing everyday life for them. I'm not doing what going I'm not doing my responsibilities fulfilling those for them. I'm doing it for God. And allowing that to, him to put me in the positions I need to be in. Man, I'm thankful that that God sends us and he uses us. And Daniel and them, they didn't know. They had no ambitions or dreams or ideas. This is where we're gonna end up. Daniel didn't know that he'd about be, you know, one of the most powerful people in the Persian Empire. So that means second minute ago, didn't know they'd end up in the fire with God, with the Son of God. They didn't know that. But they did everything as hardly as unto the Lord and allowed God to take them where they needed to go. They put their best foot forward and they knew and they counted on God to do the rest, to guide that step and to guide them to the next one and to where they need to be. And I'm thankful for that. And so you might look at this and be like, well, what, why is it, what is this supposed to be? Tied to the sermon, faithful witnesses. So the point, the main idea, the point is we, we can we should live as faithful witnesses in a hostile culture. And the way we do that is by doing good work that adds value to the people's lives around us so that they trust us, so that they look to us in times of need, in times of hardship, in times of hurting, so they know who they can go to, who that they can count on. And that's how we can be a faithful witness and allowing that to provide the opportunities that God needs and that God wants us to have to speak truth in other people's lives. Amen. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that we can, we can do that. Let us not be entitled in thinking, well, I should be able just to go up to anybody at any time and tell them about Jesus and they just receive me and respect me and listen to me talk and believe me. No, that's not the reality. It's not. You might think it should be, but it's not. I mean, I'm going to tell you right now. Add some value to somebody's life, though, and then they will listen to what you have to say. Then they'll listen to what you have to say. Amen. So I pray that we do that. Do whatever you do is hardly into the Lord. Not just at work, but how you treat people, how you interact with people, how you how you serve, how you communicate with people, how you inter, uh, how you go about and dealing with strangers and things like that. Do it as you do it unto the Lord. Not unto man, but do it as you would do unto the Lord. It will open up more doors that you can ever imagine. You never dream of. You might have an idea of how you want to think God's going to use you. You don't know. You don't know what doors will open when you put your best foot forward to those that are lost and hurting and need Jesus. You've got to provide those doors. And he'll open them for you. Amen. So at this time, as we open up the altar, I pray that, that you've been, been challenged.